And I would like you now to turn to hymn number 441. again everybody to those of you that don't know and I think everybody probably does Jim is in Texas today and will be in Texas for a week and a half or so something like that he is there for the conference I ask you if you please to pray for the conference in Texas pray for the preachers there and pray that the conference goes well again because the conference has been doing quite well year after year after year So pray for the conference in Texas. Meanwhile, it's hard to call a a family member a guest, so you're not a guest, you're a family member, Don. (laughs) Preaching today for us, Jim uh, told me, I guess it was about a week ago, he says, I just talked to Don Tyndall. And Don says uh, he's feeling okay. In fact, Don says he's going to come and preach for us. I went, that that's, was so good. I felt good for, for days after hearing that news because I haven't seen Don in, in years, and it has been that long, hasn't it? But today we are blessed to have Don Tyndall back with us again. When he's been with us before, it's been a blessing to hear him. 
And I'm glad we get to hear him again, preach again today. And uh, I'm glad your health is well enough that you felt good enough to be here. And it is a joy to have you here. So to help us get in the mood, we're going to do one more song. And then Don Tyndall will come up. And he'll preach to us and tell us what's on his mind in God's word. Steve? In Christ alone I stand. I think we should stand. Just sing this together. Good to see you. It's an honor to be asked by Pastor McClarty to come and preach to you. I consider him to be a very good and godly man, and by the grace of God, I'm able to call him friend. And I don't take this lightly. We should never take it lightly when we're trying to declare the Word of God to those who will listen to us. I had to retire due to my health. Not long after I retired, I had a friend that wrote to me and asked if uh, I was enjoying my retirement. And so I wrote back and I told him, I said, well, 
I said, I'd never planned to retire. When I went into the ministry, I had purposed in my heart that I would just preach, and when I preached my last sermon, drop over dead in the pulpit, let the people worry about it. And then I stopped, and I put in parentheses, and I said, and there are many people who believe I have died many times. I trust that today is not one of those. If you will, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. This morning I want to speak to you on the subject matter of why does humanity despise Jesus Christ and hate Christians? In John chapter 15, for our reading, let's begin our reading with verse number 17. These things I commanded you that you love one another. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore, the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now they have both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, that they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And he also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. Our text is found in verse 18 and also verse 25. Again, reading those two verses. If the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And in verse 25, but this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. We are living in a generation that seems to believe that evil is good and good is evil. The way that society in America is progressing, if you take a stand for the things of God and you're in business, you might end up being sued and lose everything you have. Simply because you believe what God says. And you are bound by your conscience to follow what God says. But as we think of our text, where the scripture declares that the world would hate you, the question is, why do they do that? Why? What, what is the, what's happening here in this portion of scripture? I believe for us to understand this portion of scripture, we need to go back to John chapter 13 and John chapter 14 and take a look at a couple of scriptures. In John chapter 13 and verse 21, Jesus has declared to the disciples that one of them will betray him. And Simon Peter in verse 24 
is wanting this belief to be John who is leaning upon Christ to ask him, well, who's going to do this? And so Simon Peter or John asked who, who it would be that would betray him. And the answer that Jesus gives is this. And he says, he it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Judas then leaves the upper room to meet with the Jews to consummate the betrayal of Jesus Christ. And after Judas departs from the upper room, Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment. In John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment give I unto you that you love one another Now catch this portion of it. As I have loved you. Don't miss that portion of it. This command. Love one another as I have loved you. That you also love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Well, Peter hears this. And of course, Peter being Peter, he immediately just latched right onto what Christ said, just like we do. No, Peter begins to question. He um, is concerned about where Christ is going, not about the command that was just given. He's concerned about where Christ is is going and why he couldn't go with him in verses 36 through 38 in John 13 our Lord tells Peter that before the cock would crow Peter would deny him three times Peter has just said now I'll I'll die for you Peter meant it. I'll die for you. And Jesus said, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Then you go into the 14th chapter. Jesus tells Peter and the disciples to not let their heart be troubled. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also, well, Thomas, picking right up where Peter left off, begins to question the Lord and says, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? Jesus had told them in verse 2 of John 14 that in his father's house there were many mansions and he was going to prepare a place for them. Well, Philip picking up on Peter, also said, well, just show us the Father and that will suffice us or that will satisfy us. Jesus answered this line of inquiry in John 14 and verse 11 by saying, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me or else believe me for the very work's sake. And after answering the questions of Peter, Thomas, Philip, Jesus reminds the disciples in verse 15 of John 14, if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, I have a question. How is it possible to love Jesus Christ and keep his commandments? How is that possible? Well, in John 15, Jesus tells us, beginning in verse 1, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, 
that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Now catch this. For without me, ye can do nothing. So how can we love Christ? How can we keep his commandments? It's by being in him. In him. It's the only way. Well, why is this so important? Why is it important to keep the commandments that Jesus gave to love one another as he loved us? Well, first of all, it's because he said so. I remember as a a kid, my mom would try to make me go to church and I didn't want to go. Before I'm finished, some of you may wish that she didn't make me go. But I was forced to go to church and I would say, Mom, I don't want to go. What do I have to go? And the answer was, because I said so. She had the authority over me. She had the authority over me. You go because I said you go. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. Well, why does that count? It's because he has the authority and he said so. Not only that, this command that God gives us is a lamp and a light or the straight and narrow path that We are to walk in this dark and dangerous world. Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, the world is going to oppose us as we follow Jesus Christ. It is not only opposition we face. But it's the absolute hatred of the world. Our text says that the disciples would be despised and they would be hated. As you look at the disciples, let's find out, were they hated or not? What's the disciples during the trial, the crucifixion, and the burial of Christ. In John chapter 18, Peter and another disciple are following along with Christ. In John 18, verses 15 and 16 declare, and Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Now remember, our Lord had told Peter, you're going to deny me. You're going to do it three times before the cock crows in the morning. Peter said, no, I'm going, I'll die for you. Now our Lord has been arrested. He's been taken to the high priest. There are two disciples that are following. Peter's one of them. Peter's one of them. But how long does Peter last in his bravery? Think about this, because we're not any better. Peter's bravery and fidelity failed when he was confronted by a girl. John 18 and verse 17, Then said the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art not thou also one of this man's disciples? 
he saith, I am not, not me, not me. He has followed Christ after the arrest. What's happened here? What's happened? All of a sudden, he sees the hatred of this religious crowd. He's already seen it, but now he's beginning to feel it. And he immediately turns away. We need to understand how quickly we can turn our backs on the Lord Jesus Christ when we get concerned about our flesh. But I want you to know something now. Not all is lost. Not all is lost when we fail. Paul writing to the church at Galatia tells us in chapter 6 and verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Oh, how easy it is to look at a brother or sister that has felt the hatred of the world and seemed to melt away. And we want to criticize that brother or that sister. And we want to call into question as to whether they even know the Lord. If that ever happens to you in your thinking about another believer, or if you should be that believer that's melting away, remember this, all is not lost. And by the mercies and grace of God, might a good and godly brother or sister come to you and restore you. Bringing you back, calling you back unto Christ. Jesus also demonstrates his everlasting love to Peter. And I am glad that the love of God is everlasting to his children. Jesus demonstrates that love to John in John 21 in verses 15 through 17. After the resurrection, our Lord looks at Peter and he says, Peter, lovest thou me? Peter says, Lord, you you know I I love you. I'm, I'm, I'm fond of you. And what does Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Three times. How many times did Peter deny the Lord? And how many times did the Lord say, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. All is not lost. All is not lost. Well, maybe the other disciples fared better than than Peter. Well, as you look at the disciples, you'll find that they're hiding behind closed doors. In John chapter 20, In verse 19, we find out why they're hiding behind closed doors. It is for fear of the Jews. Now listen to this. Our failure to love Jesus Christ is not cause for Jesus Christ to not love us. Jesus again demonstrates his love for his people. He said, love one another as I have loved you. In John 20 verses 19 through 23, then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you as my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, whosoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins are retained, they are retained. In this particular, from this particular statement of Christ, you need to remember there is one disciple that's missing. Thomas. He wasn't meeting with these disciples at that time. 
the disciples tell Thomas, the Lord is risen. And Thomas said, nah, that's not so. Can't be. Thomas knew that he had been crucified. He knew a spear had been run through his heart. He's not alive. He's dead. They put him in a tomb. And Thomas said, except I see him and I see the print of the nails in his hand, I put my hand and the scar on his side. said, I'm not going to believe. I'm just not going to believe. It's not possible. Well, in John 20 and 24 through 28, our Lord sees Thomas. He says, Thomas, here I am. Now remember, this is the one who said, the rest of you are delusional. It's not so. And Jesus said, here are my hands, Thomas. Here's my side. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God, what mercy, what mercy God shows to his children who are afraid Scared, hated by the world, feeling that hatred, wanting to save their own hides. Jesus said, here I am. You're blessed. Blessed are those who've never seen me and believe. Oh, listen. Maybe it's much easier for the disciples in this hatred that the world would have for them when Christ goes back to heaven. Well, as we look through the scripture, we find a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus. He persecuted the followers of Jesus Christ. In Acts 8, 3, the scripture says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Did you hear that? Our Lord is now back in heaven. He's ascended. And the hatred of Christianity and the hatred for the followers of Christ is so great that this one, Saul of Tarsus, is going through the land finding anyone that would claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and he's arresting them and taking them bound to be tried before the religious leaders. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And in Acts 22 and verse 4, Paul says, or Saul said, And I persecuted this way unto death, Binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. The disciples were not fearful for no reason. They had every reason to be concerned. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, Peter doesn't fare any better. He's called before the religious leaders and they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Now you do understand that in Christian America, you are free to talk about Jesus in this assembly. But you go outside the walls of this assembly and it's almost to the point where you are not allowed to speak the name of Christ or tell others that Jesus Christ is their only hope. If you tell them that, That's considered hate speech. Things are not any better. Well, perhaps as the disciples of our Lord grow, things will get better. How about Stephen? In Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 8, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians, and them of Calicia and of Asia, 
disputing with Stephen. Can you imagine anybody disputing with somebody that's a follower of Christ? They ought to just gladly hear the word, right? I mean, that's kind of what neo-evangelicals tell us. Well, they, they just love what we have to say. No, they don't. Stephen is talking about Christ and they're disputing with him. That's a nice way of saying they're in a heated argument. They're disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they, stubborn men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they, we see a lot of this today, and they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. You go down to Acts chapter 7 verses 56 through 60 and you read this. And said, Behold, Stephen said, and behold, I see the heavens open. I'm the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Did you catch who the witness was that they laid their garments at his feet when they stoned Stephen. A man named Saul. The Saul of Tarsus that had received permission and warrants to go and find Christians, arrest them, and have them brought before the religious council. We need to understand that all of the apostles of Jesus Christ suffered rejection, persecution, and death. Why? Simply because they were the followers of Jesus Christ and loved him and their brothers as Christ loved them. Were the disciples always perfect in their following of Jesus Christ? No. Are you perfect in your following Jesus Christ? No. But the disciples did learn to forgive as they were forgiven. In Luke 17 and verse 3, the scripture says, Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent. Now this is something very difficult for a lot of the so-called Christian community to do. Forgive him. A lot of the Christian community today says, oh, I forgive you. But they reserve it in their memory bank to bring up if anything else happens. That is not the love one for another that Christ speaks of. The world hates us. Because we're followers of Christ. And those who are followers of Christ are literally closer than our own flesh and blood. There are many in the Christian community that I would rather spend time with than my own relatives, my own flesh and blood. Why? I have more in common with them than I do relatives. That know not Christ. Am I perfect? No, I'm not. Do you know what I've done? No, you don't, and I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> I don't want you finding out that I've done something you haven't done and you're tempted to do it. I don't want that burden upon you. But oh, I know this my Heavenly Father forgives and puts me on the path of walking with Him. And He forgives me of my sin and He forgives His children of their sin. 
We have the world hating us. This is why we must constantly keep our eyes on Christ. And we must constantly hear about Christ. That's our source. He's the vine. We are the branches. You can take a branch off of a pear tree. And if the fruit is sufficient enough, it might go ahead and ripen. But that limb that has been severed from the trunk will never ever produce another pear. Because it's not connected to the vine, so to speak. Our source, our strength comes from Christ. And my dear souls, we must be in Christ. We must follow Christ because the world hates us. Before the disciples were hated, our Lord Jesus Christ was hated. At verse 25, again, our text tells us, But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Sometimes this word law refers to the five books of Moses. But in this place it refers to the whole of the scripture. The place that our Lord is referring to is found in Psalm 35, 19 and also Psalm 69 in verse 4. Where David in both places says, they hated me without a cause. How do I know that applies to Christ? Because Christ said, we just read it. It says in their law, they hated me without a cause. So Christ himself says that which David stated in Psalm 35, 19 and Psalm 69 and verse 4 applies to him. They hated me without a cause. But again, why does mankind hate Jesus Christ? Well, observe how that the Holy Spirit inspires John to begin his writing. In John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. John is declaring that Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ is not a created being. Genesis 1 and verse 1, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. And as you go through the account of the creation, we find that God created man in his image. In Genesis 1.26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. Man exists because God created him. And God, as the creator, has the right and the authority to command his creation. God gave man dominion over the earth. Verse 28 of Genesis 1, And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. He also put man in the garden to dress and to keep the garden. In chapter 2, verse 15, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, of Eden to dress and to keep it. But God also gave one command to the man and a penalty for disobedience. In Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof, 
thou shalt surely die. Man disobeys the command of God. Genesis 3 and verses 1 through 7, we find that the serpent is very subtle. He comes to Eve and he speaks to her and tempts her to take the fruit of the tree that God said, don't touch, don't eat. Eve told the serpent, she said, God said we can't touch that fruit, we can't even look on it. And Satan's reply was, God doesn't want you to be as wise as he is, knowing good from evil. Eve took of the fruit and ate, gave to Adam and he ate. And when Adam partook of the fruit, his eyes were open. He realized that he and Eve were naked. He's afraid of God, something that he's never, ever been. He's now afraid of God. They sew fig leaves together to hide their nakedness. And when God comes down in the cool of the day to speak with Adam, Adam hides. Do you ever find yourself trying to hide from God? God expels Adam from the garden he drives the man out what is this root of sin if you don't get anything else out of what I'm saying today hear this it is not believing God that's the very root of all sin you doubt what God says. And when you doubt what God says, you are calling God a liar. Man's hatred is rooted in his disobedience to God. To hate in our text means malicious and unjustifiable feelings toward others whether towards the innocent or by mutual animosity. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 15, we are told that the one who hates his brother is called a murderer. And the reason is because sin lies in the inward disposition of which the act is only an outward expression. Thus our hatred of Christ comes from within because man believes he knows what is best for him and for all of humanity. Disobedience and hatred is displayed by fallen man's view of deity that's worthy of worship. The issue of man's worthy worship is tainted by the darkness of their spiritual abyss. The range of gods that men will worship are as innumerable as the imagination of man. The psalmist tells us in Psalm 135, the idols of the heathen are silver and gold, the works of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Neither is there any breath in their mouth. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Never assume that fallen man doesn't believe in worship. He does. The danger for all of mankind is taking the truth of God and making a God and Savior they feel comfortable talking about or worshiping. Because men have created the image of the God they worship 
There are no absolutes when it comes to holiness and civil society. Holiness and civil society are relative issues that change as fallen men delve deeper into the darkness of their spiritual abyss. Fallen men in devotion to the gods they have made will commit acts of devotion that can only come from the pit of their spiritual abyss. They'll sacrifice their children. Self-emulation. They'll demand self-denial. They'll demand obedience to their God to show their devotion. Men who would rule the world or a portion of it are affirming by their actions the totality of the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Satan said to Eve, you will be as wise as God knowing good from evil. This lie of Satan is appealing to the desire of fallen man to rule his own life. Since the fall, men have always voiced their desire to rule their own life and the life of others. Fallen men ignore the proclamation from God to have no other gods before me. Why do men hate Jesus Christ? Man's relationship with God was severed in the Garden of Eden. And man is born spiritually blind and he gropes in spiritual darkness. Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 4 and verses 17 through 19 says, This I say therefore... And testify of the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. The book of Acts we are told, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 tells us, In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. If men acknowledge the one and only true God, men would be acknowledging their dependence and obedience to the one and only true God. If man is to be obedient to God, then man cannot rule his own life as he desires. And that's why they hate God and Christ and Christians. Christians say God has the right to rule your life. And man says, no, he doesn't. We say, live a holy life. And man says, what are you talking about? I do what makes me feel good. What I like. There is this antagonism that the fallen creature has to the creator. But I ask you this, how do you personally respond to God and his son? Do you outright hate him? Paul tells us in Romans 8, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. Enmity there is a noun that means hatred. The carnal mind is hatred against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, 
neither indeed can be. Do you believe that God exists? In 1 Corinthians 2, 14, as we have read in our scripture reading this morning, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. You might say you believe in Christ and you believe in God. But apart from the power of Christ and the work of the Spirit of God in your life, you cannot receive the things of God. It will always be foolishness to you. You might be religious, but the truth of God is out of your grasp. Christian, are you bold or weak in your declaration of loving God and His Christ, only to find yourself often in unbelief and doubt? You're not alone. In Matthew chapter 14, beginning at verse 25, and in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answering him said, Lord, if it be thou bid me to come to thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? Seems to be kind of a strange reading there. Peter said, if it's you, bid me come. Jesus said, come. Peter hops right out of the boat. Now, I've done a lot of fishing, and I've yet to have anybody talk me into just jumping out on the water and trying to walk somewhere. <laughs> not going to happen. You might throw me out, but I'm not going to voluntarily jump out to walk on the water. Peter bailed out, and he started walking. And then he began to look around and he saw all the danger surrounding him. When he took his eyes off of Christ, he started down. And he cried out to the Lord and the Lord picked him up. You are not alone if you are weak in your faith at times. Cry out unto the master for he will lift you up. And he will restore you. Yes. Oh, but I also want you to see the incomprehensible love of Christ for sinners. God tells us even though we by nature hate Christ without a cause. Jesus came to save sinners. That is those who go against his commands. 1 John 3 verse 4 tells us, Whosoever committeth sins transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Remember, in the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam the command and he violated the command. As a result, all of Adam's race is born with a nature separated from God. David said in Psalm 51 and verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. How do I know that Christ will save sinners? How do I know of his love? How do I know? Well, Jesus came to justify Justification is a legal act whereby God declares a believing sinner righteous. Sinners are justified because the penalty pronounced upon sin has been satisfied by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Yes, when I 
hated God before I was even born. My Savior died for sinners that hated him. Those who said, I have a right to rule my own life. I'll do what I want. Don't you tell me what I can and can't do. Well, I'm living like that. Christ has died for me. Do you find yourself this morning living that way? For some strange reason, you find yourself here and you hear me talking about this. It's not a strange reason God brought you here. Are you going to control your life or is God going to control it? He died for sinners. One of the happiest days of my life, if not the happiest day of my life, was when I read my name in God's word. It's spelled S-I-N-N-E-R. Christ died for sinners. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. In Romans 5, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Now notice what the apostle says. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then. Being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Christian, do you sense and feel and know the hatred of the world? Remember this, the hatred of the world towards Christians is as natural as water running downhill. Jesus told us the world would hate us. And the only way to overcome this hatred is by being obedient to Christ. It's better to have the world hate you than to have the wrath of God against you. Remember, Jesus said we are to love one another as he loved us. Christian, if another Christian is sinned against you, get over it. Get over it. Love them. Love them. As Christians, we understand why the world hates us. We are in Christ who has forgiven us and made us his own. Sinner, what harm has Christ done to you? Jesus healed the sick, he healed the lame. He opened the eyes of the blind. He raised the dead. But most of all, he suffered the wrath of God due to sinners. Do you see yourself as one who has violated the command of God? It matters not how vile 
the violation or how minor the violation. God has only one penalty for sin. And that penalty is death. Sinner, come to Jesus Christ confessing your sin, seeking his mercy and grace. Isaiah tells us in chapter 45 and verse 22, look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth for I am God and there is none else. Yes, the world is going to hate Christians and the world hates Christ without a cause. But oh, how blessed we are when God removes that hatred that we have for him and puts us on the pathway to walking with him and serving him and loving those that he loves. Sinner, your only hope is to come to Christ. Your only hope to not hate God and to hate Christ is to be in him, to be in the one who died for sinners. I trust God will take these few words and use them to be of a help unto your soul. Father, we thank you for the privilege of being able to open your word one more time. We are thankful for these who have heard and we pray that your word indeed will find lodging in their hearts for the glory of our Savior. And might we, by your mercy, glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brother Tom.